You're listening to A New Beginning with Greg Laurie, a podcast supported by Harvest Partners. For more ways to deepen and challenge your spiritual walk, enroll in Pastor Greg's free online courses. Sign up at Harvest.org. Selfishness. I want my way. Don't let that dominate your marriage. Today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie explains that selfishness is often at the core of the troubles people have in their marriages. Extramarital sex, selfishness, making decisions without consulting your partner, selfishness, marriages falling apart, selfishness. We want what we want. Jesus Christ says, be unselfish, humble yourself. This is the is not a successful arena for a me-first mentality. Marriage works best when spouses are givers. Newswoman Diane Sawyer said a good marriage is a contest of generosity. And today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie helps us see how that plays out in real life. It's a look at the Bible's prescription for loving selflessness in marriage, a plan crafted by the creator of marriage. And for a copy of this study, go to harvest.org. Okay, grab your Bible. We're going to look at two passages together, Ephesians 5 and Philippians 2. Ephesians 5 and Philippians 2. And the title of my message is, Four Words That Can Change Your Marriage. wonder if you can think of what they might be. A couple of people opined on this on my Facebook page. I said, can you guess what they are? One guy said, sorry, honey, you're right. That's not bad. Another said, Here are four words that can change your marriage. Only a guy would say this. Make me a sandwich. (laughs) That will not change your marriage. Let's see if we can find them now. Ephesians 5 verse 25. Here they are really. Husbands love your wives. Those are the four words. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with a washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. So ought husbands to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We'll stop there. Notice four times in eight verses, men are simply told to love their wives. (laughs) How are we to love our wives? As Christ loved the church. Now we have a great example of that in Scripture in many places. But let's go to a passage, now Philippians 2, and let's see how Christ loves the church. Now later Paul writes, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So here's now what it is to have the mind of Christ in your marriage. Philippians 2 verse 2. 
Fulfill my joy, Paul writes, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. A more modern translation puts it this way. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Wow. Do these words ever fly in the face of conventional wisdom today? I mean our culture says, man, look out for number one. Doesn't matter how you get to number one, what you have to say about a person, what you have to do, what corners you have to cut. Just get there. Because it's all about you. What does the Bible say we should do? Verse four, don't look out for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others. Well that flies in the face of every culture and philosophy we've ever heard. Look back historically. Greece said, be wise, know yourself. Rome said, be strong, discipline yourself. Epicureanism, the pursuit of pleasure, says, be sensuous, enjoy yourself. Education says be resourceful, expand yourself. Psychology says be confident, assert yourself. Materialism says be possessive, please yourself. Humanism says be capable, believe in yourself. Pride says be superior, promote yourself. Jesus Christ says be unselfish, humble yourself. That's the Bible in contrast to the world. You're thinking, oh Greg, give me a break. Do you live in the real world? If I humble myself, I'll never get ahead. If I humble myself, I'll be taken advantage of. If I, wait, hold on right there. Here's what the Bible says. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you in due time. This is what God says. I think I want to do it God's way. Really, what does it mean to humble yourself? It means to put others before you. You know, some people talk about how humble they are. They'll say, I'm so humble. They're, they're so humble, they're, they're quiet. I'm so humble. What? I'm so humble. What? I'm so, I'm so humble. Oh, okay, whatever. You're kind of weird too. No. It's, it's humility. They'll say, I'm so humble. I'm so humble I don't even pronounce H. I just humble. You're just strange. First of all, a truly humble person wouldn't say, I'm so humble. A truly humble person would instead come and say, man, you know, I, you know what I appreciate about you? You know what I, and they would actually start putting you above themselves. That's an act of humility. It's called meekness. Jesus was the meekest man that ever walked the face of the earth. Jesus said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest, for I am meek and gentle. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus was weak? Oh no. He was the very personification of strength. He was so strong. Physically I believe Christ was strong. How else could a man carry a cross through the streets of Jerusalem after he had been flogged 39 times? But more than that, being God walking among us, he had all power given to him. He even said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. But he was meek. What is meek? Meek means power under constraint. Power under constraint. Meekness is not weakness. It's a man who has a lot of strength or a woman but controls it or reins it in. 
Have you ever seen someone riding a beautiful stallion? They have complete control of that horse. It turns where they want to turn. It stops when they want to stop. I reminds me of a preacher who had a horse and uh, he thought it would be more spiritual to have it go to commands that he would give that would honor God instead of giddy up and woe. So he decided that uh, for giddy up it would be praise the Lord and woe would be hallelujah. So I thought this would impress him, his friend. So he's riding around his horse. Uh, instead of giddy up, praise the Lord. Bump off the horse goes, oh, it's great, it's great. And then for woe, well, hallelujah, Poof, horse stops. Oh, it's great. So one day he's out running with his horse and his horse got a little carried away. Now they're running toward a cliff. He knows he'll die. He has to stop the horse. He's getting closer to the edge of the cliff. Oh, what's that word for stop? Oh, I, I forgot it was glory to God. Horse is still running. Uh, praise Jesus. No, that's it. Oh, no, no. Hallelujah. Poof, horse stops right on the edge. Boom, little pebbles going over the Side. Preacher wipes his brow and says, Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay. And I was that preacher and it hurt. No. But you know, you control a horse. That's a horse that's chosen to be meek. It's chosen to submit its will. And in the same way, for us, meekness is submitting our will to God. Now apply this to marriage. Listen. This is not about greater or lesser. You're equal in the sight of God, but your roles are different. And if you don't understand the differences between men and women and the way God has wired us, well, it's just ridiculous because the Bible is clear about this and, of course, uh, there are so many other ways that we see this demonstrated. But here's the point. We have to find our place and do what God has called us to do. As I've said earlier, don't read your mate's mail. Read your own mail. Do what God tells you to do. If you were to boil down the problems in most marriage, or the problem I might say, in most marriages, I would identify it as one word. Selfishness. Selfishness. And if you want to know the solution to most marriages that are having problems, I would put another word in its place. Selflessness. That's what we're talking about here. Substituting selflessness for selfishness. Pastor Greg Laurie will have the second half of his message in just a moment. You know, sometimes we can't always make it to church, but here's the good news. Church is coming to you. It's coming to you on your TV screen or on your tablet or your computer or even your phone. We do it every weekend and it's called Harvest at Home. We have worship. We have a message from the Word of God. If you want to find out more, just go to harvest.org. And join us this weekend for Harvest at Home. Well, we continue now with Pastor Greg's insight in today's study, Four Words That Can Change Your Marriage. So what do we learn here from what Paul's written in Philippians? Number one, don't allow your marriage to be driven by selfishness. Verse three, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Most conflicts are a result of this. James writes in James 4, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come, listen, because you want your own way and you fight for it deep inside yourselves. We're pre-wired that way. I want my way. Goes back to our childhood. Look at kids. One of the first words they learn is mine, mine. Put a toy on the ground. Nobody cares about it. One kid picks it up, now the other one wants the same toy. And they're literally pulling on the same toy. Look, there's other toys. They want that toy. They want their own way. That's how we are. 
So don't let that dominate your marriage. Think of immorality and all the ways it shows itself. Premarital sex, selfishness. Extramarital sex, adultery and affairs it's sometimes called. Selfishness, making decisions without consulting your partner. Selfishness, marriage is falling apart. Selfishness, we want what we want. It's not always an issue of one wants what's right and one wants what's wrong, though it's sometimes that. Or, you know, we're violating what the Bible says. It's difference of opinion, you know. She wants to paint the walls white and he wants to paint them black. The point is, you know, here's what I do personally. In my house, my wife, she rules, okay. So it, I, she'll say, what do you think I should do over here? I'm thinking of doing this. And I'll say, well, I think this. Well, I, I don't really agree with that. Okay, whatever. I give you my opinion. And sometimes she'll do what I said. Sometimes she won't. But I let her decide. I say, Kathy, inside of the house, anything you want to do, that's for you to decide. I, that's her domain. And, you know, that's one way to approach it. But the point is, you need to learn how to negotiate through these things because it's not always black or white or right or wrong. It's just a difference of opinion. Number two, put your mate above yourself in marriage. Put your mate above yourself. Verse three, be lowly in mind and esteem others better than yourself. Another way to translate this is be humble thinking of others as better than yourself. This is interesting because the word used here for thinking doesn't mean to pretend others are more important. It means to actually believe others are more important. Interesting. See, because we don't generally think that way. We think, we're, hey, we're the moral center of the universe, right? We have it all wired. We have it all figured out. We think we're all that and a bag of chips. And now we marry someone that has a different opinion than we have and they want to do it a different way than we want to do it. The Bible says, think of them as better than yourself. Well, they're not better than me. Really? Do you think you're that great? Now seriously, just go back 24 hours and think about some of the thoughts that have popped into your mind. Think about some of the things you've contemplated and you're telling me you are so good. Listen, you fall so short. Are you sitting there right now, husbands, and saying, I'm a better husband than she's a wife? Wives, are you sitting there saying, I'm a much better wife than he's a husband? You need to do a little self-check for a moment and realize that others should be put in a position of being better than you, especially your spouse in your marriage. If I know how wicked I am and what I'm capable of, how can I be so hard on other people? The great evangelist D.L. Moody once said, quote, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than any other man I've ever known. That's right. And I have that trouble too. Not with D.L. Moody, but with Greg Laurie. <laughs> See, we, not our mate, are most likely the problem in our marriage. We, not our mate, are probably the problem. And then over in 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul really shows how love displays itself, he says, love does not behave rudely in 1 Corinthians 13.5. You know, some guys would show more kindness toward a total stranger than that person that is bone of their bones and flesh of their flesh. You know, an attractive girl is making her way to a door. Maybe she has something in her arms and you run ahead and gallantly hold the door. She walks through, thank you. You're a gentleman. Well, thank you. <laughs> then your own wife comes home from the market. She's unloading groceries and she says, can you give me a hand? You say, you got a foot. Kick the door open. What's with that? 
Don't tell me something like that has never happened to you before. Where do you think I get all these illustrations? From my own life. Paul also tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, God's love is not provoked, which means aroused anger or a sudden outburst. Listen, if in your marriage it's been reduced to shouting matches, Houston, we have a problem. If you're hitting her or him, this is wrong and you need to stop. So you have to always raise your voice and whenever there's a disagreement, you get really loud and you hit things and you throw things. You don't want to go there. Listen, you need to get control of yourself because one of the things that is identified as a fruit of the Spirit is self-control. God can give you control over your temper. And if it gets to that point, then sometimes, honestly, it's good to just walk out of the room. Can I walk out for like a month? No, a month is too long. But um, for a few minutes to cool off, sure. But sometimes these things, that you know, they get worse and worse. And, and then next thing you know, the cops are called or whatever. And what a horrible thing to do to children. Don't do this to your kids, people. Don't do it because little eyes are watching and little ears are listening. And they're picking up more than you realize. So I was raised in this environment. I've told you this before. I lived every day of my life, except when I was with my grandparents or in military school, uh, in the presence of domestic violence, screaming, yelling, insanity. And I know how horrible that was as a kid. And I was determined when I get married, that is not what my home is going to look like or sound like. I am not going that way. And this is a horrible thing to do to your children. This is not how love displays itself. I don't even care what the issue is. Because when it comes to a point where if someone is hit, the issue is now a non-issue. And now the new issue is you should have never done that. You see? So you take it to a new level. Don't let it go there. That's not the way that love is. Cliff Barrows, probably heard of him. Longtime associate of Billy Graham. He was married to his first wife, Billy, for 49 years until she went to be with the Lord. Cliff married again, a wonderful lady named Anne, in 1995. And so in an interview, he was asked the secret to a long and happy marriage. I like what Cliff said. Here's what he said, quote, I think there are nine words we should be willing to say every day. Here they are. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. That's good advice. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. And then he adds an additional four words that are often helpful too. It was my fault. It was my fault. How many of you are married? Raise your hand. Okay, turn to your spouse. Turn to them. Say this to them. It was my fault. I'm sorry. I love you. See? It helps, doesn't it? You know, you can be in a big conflict. And you're like, you know, she's yelling or you're yelling or whatever it is. And then you just look at him and say, you know what? I was wrong. I love you. <laughs> Diffused. Didn't take you that long, did it? These are simple truths that we can apply in our lives to love as God wants us to love. So love your mate. Honor them. Who's the greatest example of, of loving as we ought to love? Well, I am. And no, I'm, <laughs> I've just written a new book, Humility and How I Found It. I want, no, I made all that up. We laugh because it's absurd. But I'll tell you who the person is. You already know who's the greatest example of humility and love. Who? Take a guess. Perfect. 
Let's read on in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was God among us. He was not man becoming a God. That's impossible. He was God becoming man. He never voided his deity, but he veiled it. He sort of hid it, but he still was God. Which is so amazing when you look at how he served others, always had time for others, always helping others. Even in the upper room, he got down on his knees and he washed the disciples' feet. That's normally what a servant would do. That's incredible. And by the way, he also watched Judas's feet and that's right before Judas betrayed him. If I was Jesus, I would not have washed Judas's feet. I would have broken his feet. <laughs> then I would have said, yeah, try betraying me now. <laughs> See how that works out. No, he washed his feet. He was humility, loving, a servant. And then he made the ultimate sacrifice by going to the cross and dying there for our sin. Yes, we're to love our wife as Christ loves the church. And there's no greater example of love ever shown in the universe than the love of God for humanity by sending His Son to die on the cross in our place and the Son willingly going and taking the sin of the world. If He just took my sin, it would have been bad enough. If we added your sin or just the sin of those listening today, it would have been more than enough. But He took the sin of the whole planet upon Himself. And then he rose again from the dead three days later. And now he stands at the door of our hearts and he knocks. And says if we'll hear his voice and open the door, he'll come in. Let's all bow our heads. Everybody praying everywhere. Father, thank you for your word to us. And I pray for any person here that does not know you. Help them to come to you. Help them to believe in you. Help them to be forgiven of all of their sins right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastor Greg Laurie with an important word of prayer. And if you know you need to make a change today in your relationship with the Lord, Pastor Greg will come back to help you do that in just a moment before today's edition of A New Beginning wraps up. And then we're making available a wonderful book of encouragement for those who've suffered loss. It's called Divine Disruption. You know, Pastor Greg, I've heard of some people who walked away from God when it seemed that he didn't answer their prayers for a loved one, right. you know, a loved one who passed away. Mm -hmm. What would you say to someone who is wondering if God is on their side? You know, they're wondering if, if God can be trusted. Mm. Well, I think we have to look at the big picture. Is it a punishment or is it a reward to go to heaven? Mm -hmm. I would liken it to this. Let's say you went to Disneyland on a really hot day. You are standing in a really long line. And suddenly the CEO of Disneyland came out and he gave you his name. And then he said, I want to take you to the front of the line. And I want to get you in the front of every ride as you come in to the park. Would that be a good thing or a bad thing? I think huh. all the people waiting in line would envy you. Hey, you lucky dog. How did you pull that off? <laughs> an early death means an early crown. 
If you're walking with Jesus, you don't have to fear death. Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Wait, what? Gain? Yes, gain, because you go into God's presence. So for the person who goes to heaven, it's a wonderful thing. No, honestly, for us that say goodbye to that person, it's a very painful thing. And I know we wish that our loved ones could live forever. Well, they will live forever if they're a Christian, but in God's presence, not forever on this earth, and saying goodbye is hard. So when a Christian has a fellow Christian, maybe a relative, maybe a friend, die, you need to remember this. You'll see them again. They're not just a part of your past. They're also a part of your future. Therefore, you do not say goodbye. You say, I'll see you later. Mm -hmm. So here's a book that I want to offer you right now that deals with that and much more. It's called Divine Disruption, written by Pastor Tony Evans. Now, you all know Tony has a great radio broadcast. He's a prolific author. But what's unique about this book is he wrote it with his two sons and two daughters. It deals with the loss that the Evans family has faced, especially having their mother go to be with the Lord and how hard that's been for them, but how they've been able to deal with this loss with great trust in God. So it's called Divine Disruption, and the subtitle says, Holding on to Faith When Life Breaks Your Heart. So if life has broken your heart, if you're hurting right now, I think this book is really going to be helpful. I'll send you a copy of Divine Disruption for your gift of any size. Now, some of you can send a large gift, some uh, a smaller gift, but whatever you send, we will rush you a copy of Divine Disruption by Tony Evans and his children and I know this will be a blessing to you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And each of Tony's kids is in ministry, and they're all great communicators. So you'll get five different perspectives packed in one book. And a little tip, Chapter 11 is so helpful with some of Tony's strongest encouragement. We'll send you Divine Disruption to thank you for your partnership with us so this daily study time can continue. We're entirely listener-supported, and your donation not only feeds your own spiritual education and edification, but it also helps us reach out to others in your community. So we hope you'll call us today at 1-800-821-3300. That's 1-800-821-3300. Or go online to harvest.org. Well, Pastor Greg, a couple of moments ago, you talked about the importance of coming to the Lord to have our sins forgiven. Yeah. If somebody listening right now wants to do that, could you help them? Yeah, I can do that, Dave. I'd be happy to. In the book of Isaiah, we read these words, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous man their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Listen, that's God's word to you. And let me address this to the person who has never asked Jesus Christ to come into their life. Why don't you do it now? That verse says, seek the Lord while he may be found. God has touched your heart today, perhaps. And you thought, I need this relationship with the Lord. One of these days, I'm going to make that commitment to Christ. No, don't wait for one of these days. This is the day. <laughs> this is your moment. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Listen, God is near to you, and he is ready to come into your life. And there's another part of this verse when it says, 
Let us return to the Lord. I want to also extend an invitation to you that have fallen away from your faith. You've fallen away from the Lord and you need to make a recommitment. So if you want Jesus Christ to come into your life, if you want your sin forgiven, if you want to go to heaven when you die, or if you've fallen away from the Lord and you want to return to him, pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. But I also know that you are a savior and I need your help. I need your forgiveness. Come into my life and forgive me of all of my sins. I choose to follow you from this moment forward. Be my savior, be my Lord, be my God and be my friend. Thank you for hearing this prayer. Thank you for answering this prayer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, I want you to know on the authority of Scripture, if you just prayed that prayer and meant it, Christ has heard you and he has forgiven you. So God bless you. And we want to help you begin to grow in your new faith. We want to send you some resource materials we call our New Believers Growth Packet. It'll answer some of the questions you might have and get you started off right. So get in touch and ask for your New Believers Growth Packet. We'll send it free of charge if you prayed with Pastor Greg for the first time today. Call us at 1-800-821-3300. That's a 24-7 phone number, 1-800-821-3300. Or go to harvest.org and click the words, Know God. Well, next time, Pastor Greg has some counsel aimed primarily at wives. More insight from his Christian family series called Home Sweet Home. Join us here on A New Beginning with pastor and Bible teacher, Greg Laurie. The preceding podcast was made possible by Harvest Partners, helping people everywhere know God. Learn how to become a Harvest Partner, sign up for daily devotions, and find resources to help you grow in your faith at Harvest.org.